morning, friends. Uh, good morning, church family. I'm Byron Bradshaw. I'm the pastor and an elder here at Calvary Bible Church. And for our scripture reading today, we are in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We'll be reading from verses 20 through 32. I'm using the New America Standard 1995 edition. They updated it in 2020 and did not tell me about it. Thanks, guys. Uh, but I invite you to follow along if, if you would wish to read in your own copy. Uh, real quick, before we read our passage together, just two quick things. And just at, at the end of the service today, we will recognize two elders that are rotating off the board, uh, Herb Justinger and Harold Purdy. And we will just have a little recognition for them at the end of the service today. And also, one other thing I would like to share, we had a great annual business meeting this last Wednesday night. And it was boring, and that's a good thing. Okay. And, uh, and I just want to say, if you did not hear the news, but our campaign for the playground is complete. So back in January of this year, we asked the congregation to raise $175,000 to bring a playground to our property so we can build relations with non-believers in our neighborhoods around here. We asked them less than a month ago to raise $175,000, and the Lord provided, and now we have raised $195,000 for that playground in less than a year. So, amen. So thank you to the Lord and all your generosity in that endeavor. Today we're Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll begin in verse 20. But you do not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Then in reference to your former manner of life, you have laid aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you have been renewed in the spirit of our mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Verse 25, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer. But rather, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment, so that we give grace to those who hear. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as Jesus in Christ has forgiven you. This is the Lord. Amen. Amen. Good morning. I'm Dustin Drake. I'm one of the elders here. I also happen to be Byron's father-in-law. And that was one of the deals I made with him. You know, if you marry my daughter, you've got to let me preach when you get to be a pastor of a big church somewhere. And so that's worked out good for me since it's Calvary and I love Calvary. Uh, God is good. It's just great to be able to come, see your faces, fellowship with you this morning, have donuts and coffee. And uh, But this morning I was a little disappointed about something, and I don't get disappointed often, but the donut selection committee, I'm going to address them this morning because I don't know if you've noticed, but the selection of donuts has gotten smaller each week. And I really missed my barbarian cream-filled donut. 
Now, technically, if you don't know what a barbarian cream-filled donut is, it's a barbarian cream-filled donut, which is not really cream. It's just like vanilla pudding. But I really like those. When I was a senior in high school, I worked for a car dealership in a small town called McMinnville. And right across from the car dealership was this tasty old donuts place. And they made these massive barbarian cream-filled donuts. The thing about it was when you bit into one of those, you couldn't help but get the pudding, which is really vanilla pudding, running all down your face. Hence, I changed the name to Barbarian Cream-Filled Donuts because you look like a barbarian when you were eating one. But God is good and and gracious, and I'm glad to be able to speak with you this morning. You know, a couple of weeks ago as I was thinking about preaching, I didn't know if I was going to preach out of Ephesians, which is my favorite book in the Bible, or give an overview of the book of Revelation, uh, which I really wanted to do that. But in the last week, the Lord really impressed upon my heart through the different interactions I had with people that this passage was needed. So he drew me into this passage. In fact, over the last few years, the Lord has impressed some truths on my heart that I really didn't think a lot about before. Now, I will tell you this morning, I've already preached this message at the rescue mission. And one of the things I figured out this morning is I was pulling a Byron Bradshaw. I have an hour-long introduction and then five sermons. So so you're going to get the dump truck this morning. I'm going to try to get through this really fast, but this should really be a series of messages. But the Lord has impressed upon my heart in the last couple of years certain truths that I, I really didn't see the importance of them before. And one of them is, as I talked through the book of Acts a couple of times, was this theme of unity. The importance of unity in the body of Christ and how much God values unity in the body of Christ. In fact, the power of the early church is directly related to its unity. It's oneness of thought. It's oneness of heart and purpose. Even among great diversity. The church at Antioch was the first real diverse church and yet they had great unity. And this shouldn't be surprising to us because in John chapter 17... Right before the Lord was going to go to the cross, he prayed for us. And in verse 20, he said this, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as you and I are one. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You can't get any more one than the Father and Son. They are one. It's interesting also in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are all about what it means to be in Christ. And you can't live out the last three chapters without understanding the first three chapters. But when you get to chapter 4 and he starts talking about how we're to live it out, listen to what he says. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of your calling. Walking worthy means living up to your salvation, who you are in Christ, with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The first thing he addresses is unity in the body of Christ. That's tremendously important. He goes on and talks about in the body of Christ, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, the importance of unity and then the importance of ministry in the body of Christ. 
In fact, as he works his way through, he talks about the fact that God has given us evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the body of Christ. He's, we're to equip you, those that are teaching the Word of God, to do the work of the ministry. The church I went to in California, on the back of the church bulletin, it had a thing that said staff, and it lists the staff members. Then it said ministers. Beside that, it said all members. You are to be doing the work of the ministry. God has given you gifts and talents and abilities to be doing the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry, according to Ephesians 4, is to be speaking the truth in love and building each other up, edifying each other, till we all come in the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. Two things, that we understand the truth of God's Word, and number two, we're applying it in a deep, growing relationship with Christ. We all have a place to, a part to play in the body of Christ. We're all to be ministering to each other. And so it's extremely important that we do be doing that. But as we work our way through the book of Ephesians, and in chapter 4 in particular, we see that something else is needed. If we're going to be ministering to each other, we've got to be doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of Christ. I want you to look at verse 17. I'm going to kind of regress and just read verse 17, 18, and 19 really quick. It says, I say, this I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, if you want to know why today... A lot of people in our country think the way they do. That's why they think the way they do. Their minds have been blinded by sin. They are dead in trespasses and sin. And they only think in the darkness. The light of the gospel of Christ has not shined unto them. I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Least the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. To give them the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. Just as the world was in darkness and God spoke light into the darkness. He does that in our hearts and minds when we come to Christ. And he gives us truth in our hearts and minds to see with reality. Our eyes are literally opened. I once was blind, but now I see. People that are living in darkness like this, it says they're being past feeling. That means they've become callous to the truth. They've become callous to what is good. And it says they've given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Sin never satisfies. The things of the world never satisfy the heart. More is never enough. But look at verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. If you've come to Jesus Christ, you've learned a different way. You have been opened your understanding and your spiritual eyes to the truth. If indeed if you've heard him and been taught by him, which if you've come to Christ, you have heard him and you are being taught by him. As the truth is in Jesus. The truth. The truth of everything. Of what life is about is in Jesus. Wasn't it Pilate that says what is truth? 
You're standing looking at him. He's right in your presence. He is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We need the truth in our lives. And notice this, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which goes, grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I'm, I'm getting to my message. <laughs> I'm going through my introduction pretty quickly because there's a lot more to it than this. But when you come to Christ, your spiritual eyes are opened. And the, God begins doing a work in your heart and mind to transform you. And you have to be transformed because you have to lay aside the old ways of doing things. This morning at the rescue mission, I was thinking about, you know, a lot of those guys coming off the tr- street, and they're pretty dirty. I was talking to my son the other day, and he reminded me of a story when he was in Iraq. He said, for 30-something days, I never changed my clothes. In fact, he said, for 30-something days, I never changed my underwear. Can you imagine that? In the desert, in the dirt and the dust. He said, you just got used to it. But imagine, when we come to Christ, that represents our lifestyle, our walk. As we walk, we get filthy and filthy. It just... But when we come to Christ, he changes it on the inside. And we're supposed to take these old ways of doing things and throw those clothes in a pile. And we're given new clothes we're supposed to put on, which are like Jesus, the way Jesus does things, the way he lives his life. Now, occasionally, I don't know about you, but occasionally I'll go back to that old pile and put that shirt on. That's my wife's fault because she hides stuff from me. This morning she hid my black pants from me. I don't know where she put them. I put them places, and then she moves them, and I can't find them. I don't know why she does. You guys, you probably know that if I hang them up somewhere, like on a banister, I need them to stay there. Because if you put them in a closet, I can't find them. I can't find anything in the closet for some reason. But I couldn't find them, and I was getting irritated. Then I remember I had to preach this morning, which one of my points is be angry and do not sin. So I, I couldn't sin this morning and yell at her, which I didn't. But I wanted to. She had lost my black pants, my favorite pair. But moving on from that, he says three things we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be laying aside, being renewed, and putting on. Those are all infinitives. And so this is a process. And Paul talks about this, you know, that we are a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And our mind is being renewed. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9-16, through he says we have the mind of Christ. But we also have that ability to go back and pick up these old clothes. And Paul acknowledges that. Listen to what he says. He says, So then, on one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. There's this dichotomy. So in our lives, we need to be changing. We need to be actively engaged in renewing our minds by the Word of God through the power of the Spirit of God. So that we'll be walking in the Spirit of God, then we can really be, begin living in unity in the body of Christ and ministering to each other. Real ministry, for real ministry to take place in the body of Christ, we must have intentional, authentic relationships. We must put on Christ and put off the old ways of doing things, the old ways of relating. And so what I want to talk about this morning is five key principles. And if we put these five creed principles in our life, if we begin living like Christ, it will transform the way we relate to each other. One of the things that 
became profound to me, which it shouldn't be, but a few years ago, was that salvation changes our relationship with God. Before salvation, we have no relationship with God. We're enemies of God. But when we come to Christ, we now have a Father, and we have the Holy Spirit live within us, and we have a relationship with, the Holy, with Jesus Christ, His Son. But not only does God want to change our relationship with Him, He also wants to change our relationship with each other. Sin did not only separate Adam and Eve from God. It drove a wedge right between them. It's the woman you gave me. Well, Adam, wait a minute. What, why weren't you doing your responsibility to protect your wife? You should have got you a stick and beat the snake to death, but you didn't. You just sat there and watched. But immediately they knew they were naked and there was, there was, there was a wedge there. But in Christ, God wants us to bring us back into relationship with our Father, but also in our relationship with each other. I like it in Ephesians chapter 3, where he says, Through the church, God is demonstrating his manifold wisdom to all the principalities and powers in the spiritual or heavenly realm. How does the church demonstrate the manifold power or wisdom of God? By removing the wedge that Satan drives between us. The hate, the animosity, the fear, the competition, the unhealthy competition. He removes that and he brings us together in one body from all races, all backgrounds, all economic levels. In the early church, there was the master and the slave sitting right beside each other at the love feast. And, and Paul said, Slave, serve him like you do Christ. Master, treat him like you would your only son. It changes the way we relate to each other. But we've got to have these new things. So let's look at them, first of all. Verse 25. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. To have true, authentic relationships in the body of Christ or any relationship, we have to be people of the truth. People of the truth. Falsehood. That which is not genuine or real. Lying. Lying seems to be an innate condition of the human heart. How many of you guys have children? Anybody have children? How many of you had to teach your children to lie? Those little liars. They come out lying quick, don't they? It doesn't take long. As soon as they can talk, they can start lying. You know, lying just seems to be one of those conditions that... that that we all have in our heart. And we lie for various reasons. But you know, God hates lying. Proverbs 12, 22, listen to this. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 16, 6, 16. These things, six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look, number one. A lying tongue, number two. Listen to Revelation. This is how much God hates lying. But outside the kingdom are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. God hates lying. Why does he hate lying so much? Well, first of all, it originates with Satan. John 8:44 says that Satan is the father of lies. And that's what he uses. Satan uses lies to deceive God's people and to ensnare God's people. And we all have a tendency to believe lies in our hearts and minds. He used a lie in the Garden of Eden. He told a half-truth, which was a full lie. 
to Eve. And she bought it. She fell into it. So God hates lying because it originates from Satan. And God is the truth. Number two, he hates lying because lying destroys relationships. We're to put on the truth. That means we're to speak the truth in love. We're to be people that are characterized by the truth as the truth is in Jesus. Have you ever had anybody lie to you? How many have ever had someone lie to you? Come on. Everybody, put your hand up. All right. How many of you ever told a lie? Yeah, the Bible says, let God be true and everybody a liar. Well, why do we lie? Well, there's, there's a multitude of reasons. Sometimes it's a safe face. Sometimes it's to impress others. Sometimes it's to cover up our failures. Sometimes it's to deceive others. And sometimes we lie to keep from hurting another person. You know, the Bible says the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, but the wounds of a friend are faithful. Sometimes we need to tell people the truth. We need to speak the truth into them in love. And sometimes it it may hurt them. Our, Our goal is not to hurt them. And we shouldn't seek opportunities just to hurt each other. Sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut. Speaking the truth doesn't mean you tell everything you know. You know, if you know somebody that's having issues in their life, maybe they're having marriage issues or something, and somebody else comes up to you and says, hey, I'm concerned about so-and-so. What do you think is going on? You say, well, you should go ask them. You should go talk to them. Not say, hey, well, now that you mentioned it, let me tell you what's going on, what I know. Speaking the truth in love doesn't mean we blabber everything in our mouth, but it does mean that we are honest and authentic with other people. Notice he says, we're members one of another. This is a quote from Zechariah 8.16. And in Zechariah, God is talking about in the kingdom, he wants his people to be truthful with each other, to be characterized by honesty and truth because they're members one of another. We are really members one of another. We are in a relationship. And if we're going to keep those relationships strong and deep, we've got to be people of truth. When people lie to us, it destroys our trust in them. When they deceive us, then we don't trust them. And trust breaks down. And the relationship is hindered. And it takes a lot sometimes to to bring that, that trust back. You say, how much does God hate lying? Well, in Acts chapter 5, now that you mention it, there's a story of a guy named Barnabas who sold, actually I think he's in the chapter 4, but... At the end of chapter 4, he sold some land, and he gave all the money to the church. He laid it at the feet of the elders and said, use this for ministry. And there was this other couple that saw it, and they said, wow, we've got some land. We could sell it. So they sold it, and they said, well, you know, we don't want to give it all. Let's, let's keep some of it, but we're going to tell them we gave it all. So they went to there, and they said, look, we sold this land, and this is the money we got for it. We're giving it all to the Lord. You know what happened to those guys, that husband and wife? They carried them out that day dead, one after the other. Now, praise God, praise God, he doesn't do that now. That he doesn't carry us out every time we become a hypocrite and lie. Church might be a little thin these days. But God wants us to be people of truth, characterized by truth. Number two, the new man in Christ is to be a person who is self-controlled. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, is anger sin? Is all anger sin? Of course it's not. 
Jesus was angry. In John chapter 2, verse 15, he made a whip and he went into the temple and he threw over the, the, the tables of the money changers. And he says, with that whip, he drove them out of the temple. He said, the zeal of God's house has eaten him up. Because he saw that they were making merchandise of God's house. And they were also extorting, extorting God's people. So there is righteous anger. And this word in particular here that he uses for anger, be ye angry and do not sin, is, is not rage or it's more of an inward anger. You know, more of a justified anger. What is anger? Well, anger is an experience of intense emotion. It's hard to define it sometimes, but you know when it occurs. And usually it's when we think that we have been wronged or injured or mistreated or someone opposes us in our view that we think that's totally right. Or we're forced to deal with obstacles that keep us from getting what we want. Like my black pants this morning. Couldn't get my black jeans, my favorite black jeans, so I was getting a little miffed about it. Thank God for the Holy Spirit this morning. So, anger is something we all deal with. And anger, if we deal with it properly, which a new person in Christ should, then it it doesn't affect our relationships. What's he say? Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on wrath. What does that mean? Deal with your anger. Deal with it. If you get angry, if you have an issue, deal with that another person. A lot of times people don't even know that they made you angry. They didn't even do anything intentionally. But you interpreted it as being done intentionally. That happens a lot of times in marriage relationships. We do things... And the other person thinks we meant some ill will by it, or we were doing it out of, you know, spite, when we didn't mean to do that at all. But a lot of times, us husbands don't know. Ladies, incidentally, we're not mind readers. I know you think we should always know, but we don't know. I never know when something's, I know when something's bothering my wife. I just never know what it is. And when I ask her, you know what her answer is? What's her answer, guys? Nothing. Yes, thank you. Nothing. Which usually makes me angry because then I know something's bothering and she won't tell me what it is. I'm supposed to know what it is. But we need to deal with our anger. And that means when we are angry or we know someone else is angry, we need to go talk to them about it. We need to resolve it. And a lot of times that's all it takes. Someone was just sharing me a week ago how that there was a, a thing where a couple of people had a misunderstanding. And the one person said, I called the other person. And as soon as I called the other person, it was all resolved. But that person said, you know, I could have let that just bother me and eat at me. And then I said to someone eventually, do you know what so-and-so did? I can't believe they did that to me. But instead of doing that, they called them on the phone. And it was, it was, all, it was all good after that. All they had to do was talk. When we don't deal with anger, it gives Satan a foothold in our life. Because anger can turn to a point where it starts to fester in our hearts and souls. Do you ever think about that? One of the book uh, verses in the Bible that speaks of this is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. It says, "Cast a root of, uh, least a root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled." When we don't deal with anger in our hearts, and we let it fester, we go to bed on it. It starts growing. Have you ever noticed that? You start thinking about it, and the more you think about it, at least I do, the more upset I get about it. 
And then I start projecting things and imagining things that aren't even real. And before I know it, I've got this thing blown up into some huge incident with bad motives, and that's not even true. And a lot of times things will happen between people, and they don't resolve it. They don't talk about it. And bitterness grows up in that. And those people become bitter in their soul. And it can actually cause a stronghold in your life. It can give Satan a stronghold in your life when you don't deal with anger. And you don't deal with bitterness. I've seen people become bitter about things, and it just destroyed their life. So we, the new person in Christ realizes that we all get angry, but they deal with that anger appropriately. They have self-control. They look at that and they say, okay, Lord, I need to deal with this. And the best thing, the way to deal with it is go talk to the person who the anger is directed toward. Number three, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let, let him labor working with his hands a thing which is good that he may have to, something to give him who has need. Third thing, the new person in Christ is a person who's diligent and generous. The old man is characterized by selfishness, by stealing. But incidentally, I found it interesting, the word there in Greek for stealing is klepto. Guess what word we get from klepto? Kleptomaniac. You know, as being a paint store manager, I've had to deal with the stealing over the years, quite a bit. Employees stealing, customers stealing. And I've had some customers that were so good at stealing that one police officer said to me one time, if they put that much effort into doing something legitimate, legitimate, they've been highly successful. But I had an employee one time who was stealing. And a great guy, I would have never expected him of this. But he was bilking us out of probably about $8,000 a year. And so someone told on him, not meaning to, I had two customers that walked in the store one morning when he was on vacation. And they said, is so-and-so here? And I said, no, he's on vacation. And they looked at me and said, well, I guess we're going to have to go get some money then. And I said, oh, really? Okay. And they said, when the bank's open, we'll get some money and come back. And I thought to myself, now, why would you be here to get paint when you have no money? So I started looking. Of course, I found through the doing some diligent searching that he was selling paint under the counter. So then I called in loss prevention. We put in the hidden cameras. It looked like motion, motion detectors and all this stuff. And I went in every morning at 5 o'clock and changed out the VHS tag, tapes. And I think we've called him like, I don't know how many times in two weeks, selling paint, you know, under the counter. But one of the things the guy from loss prevention told me was, he said, Dustin, you know, there's about 10% of the people that are going to steal no matter what. He said, there are millionaires that steal every chance they get. And he said, then there's about 10% of the people that won't steal no matter what. He said, they could be walking through the woods and find a sack of hundreds just laying in the woods, and they'll take that sack of hundreds and take it to the police department and say, hey, I found this in the woods. But he said, it's the other 80% that we worry about. He said, normally they wouldn't steal, but he said, if... There's a motive and an opportunity where they think they won't get caught. They can be tempted to steal. And he says, that's why we put all these safeguards in there, is to keep them from being tempted to steal. But stealing is related to selfishness. Laziness and not working is related to selfishness. But the new person in Christ is one who works diligently, not only so that we can provide for our own needs, but so that we can also provide for the needs of others. 
You know, I've been on both ends of this. When, when I first came to Calvary in 1991, I, I had left a good job. I was helping start a small church in McMinnville. Lost the job I had there, so I came back to work for Glidden Paints. And when I came to Huntsville, I was driving a van that a guy gave me that had been in a field. It was, <laughs> it was embarrassing, but I didn't care. And I share all that to say I've been in this situation where I raised five kids on like thirty-five or $40,000 a year. And if it hadn't been people giving us stuff, you know, Karen was committed to staying home. If it hadn't been for people giving us clothes and stuff at the ballpark, my kids would have probably been in rags. You know, and so God took care of us. I had people give me cars. I used to pride myself on how many miles I could get off cars. I had several I got over 250,000 miles on. You can't beat a Toyota. But, uh, you know, I learned our, our vacation, a big family vacation, was going tent camping at Fall Creek Falls State Park. That was, that was our week-long vacation. Uh, so I've learned to do without. Now, our kids are all grown. Karen went to work. And, and in the last few years... Money has not been an issue. And I'm, I share all that to say this. I've been on the side where I had to receive, and it's humbling. I've been on the side now where I can give and be a blessing to others. Jesus was right. It is more blessed to be able to give than to receive. Paul said he'd learned to be abased, and he'd learned to abound. It is much better when you're giving out of that position where you have money extra, and if you see a need... You can help meet that need. And so the new person in Christ is to be a person who's characterized by generosity. Let's move on quickly. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. That all goes together. What comes out of our mouth, and I had a lot to say about this, but I'm going to pull this down. This word says, let no corrupt or unwholesome word. The word is saphros. It means corrupt or foul or rotten. And it's not talking about cussing. Although we probably shouldn't cuss. We get all bent out of shape sometimes of using the slang word for feces. If we hear a Christian say that, like, (gasps) but then that same person that was shocked by that will go and tear someone to pieces with their mouth. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about speech that's designed to tear others down, to hurt others. To make ourselves look good by picking someone else apart. The body of Christ, that's the way of the world, is to run other people down and criticize them and find all their faults. This man sitting right over here, I can tell you, he's a sinner. But so are you and so am I. If you look at me long enough, you'll find some faults. And if you don't find them, just ask my wife and my kids. They'll tell you. There's a lot of them. But we in the body of Christ are not to look and measure on the faults of others. We're to look at their heart. If they have a heart for Christ, we're to be building them up with what we say. We're to be edifying them. We're to be speaking the truth in love to others. Not running them down. Not tearing them apart. Notice he says this, that you may impart grace to the hearers. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace. Let your speech 
Always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. With what we say, we can impart the grace of God into other people's lives. You know, most believers, we know when we've blown it. We don't need someone telling us that we've blown it. We need someone to come alongside and put their arm around us and say, I believe in you. God's with you. God's for you. Get back up. I think God is most glorified in our lives when we fall flat on our face and skin our knees up. And Satan is above us telling us, stay down, quit, give up. You're no good. But we get back up. We confess our sin and get back up and continue to walk with God. And a lot of times what we need is someone to help us up. We need someone to come alongside and help pick us up. Be careful what you say to others because you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God lives within us. And he's not in the business of putting words in our mouth that tear other people apart. He's in the business of putting words in our heart that build each other up and encourage each other. That speak the life and truth and grace of God into the heart of another person. All right, my last point. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Notice this progression. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. He's almost summarizing. And there's almost a progression there. Evil speaking is is a word slander, actually, in the Greek. It's slandering others, putting others down. And then there's this thing of clamor, which is like flying off the handle. And then anger, which is growing deeper-seated. And wrath is just boiling over. And that leads to bitterness. We as Christians, we need to put all that out of our lives. And we do that by confessing it to the Lord. Confession is key. When we start to feel these things in our life, confess your sin to the Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive you. Uh, When we confess our sin, we're agreeing with God that these things are sin in our lives. And these things, these are wrong attitudes. We need to put them away. And what I found, as soon as I confess it to the Lord, He releases that. Well, why do we do that? And why do we confess our sin, our bitterness? Because God has called us to be people of forgiveness. The new man in Christ. The new person in Christ is a person of forgiveness. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. You know, there's a prescription in the Bible for dealing in the body of Christ when someone hurts us. When someone says something that maybe offends us. First of all, and I tell people this, if I'm around you long enough, I'm going to offend you. Number one. Number two, I didn't mean to do it. Because number three, I'm just stupid, and I say stupid things sometimes. If you talk enough, the Bible says, in a multitude of words, there is sin. I'm eventually going to say something stupid. So, number one, if you'll realize that and say, you know what? Dustin's a sinner just like I am. He didn't mean anything by it, and I'm just going to forgive him. I'm not even going to say anything about it. Love covers a multitude of sins. Number two, if you can't do that, You're not supposed to go tell someone what Dustin said and Dustin did. You're supposed to come and tell Dustin what Dustin said and Dustin did. And you know what I'll do? I'll say, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Even if I didn't mean to do it. Even if I was no, I will, I would rather say, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Than our relationship be wrong. Why do we do that? 
Because Christ has forgiven us of all of our sins. Of all of our sins. And I guarantee you, we have sinned far more times against Christ than we can sin against anyone else. We need to practice forgiveness in our lives in the body of Christ so our relationships can be right. So that we can have deep relationships and ministry can take place. That's crucial. I think about that parable Jesus told. And I'm going to end with this. He told a story about a a man who owed his master an insurmountable debt. And the master was going to sell him and his family and everything to get his money back. And he went and he begged him for mercy. And his master had mercy on him. But Jesus said then that man went out and another man owed him a couple of dollars. And he grabbed him by the shirt and started shaking him. And he had him thrown in prison to get his two dollars or three dollars back. Let's not do that. Let's not have received the forgiveness of Christ and then grab another brother or sister by the shirt and hold them accountable like that. Let's be people that are characterized by forgiveness because Christ has forgiven us. Let's pray this morning. Father, the application of this message is sure. We need to put on Christ. We need to put on these new characteristics in our relationships, in our family, at work, at church, Lord. So that true ministry can take place. So we can have deep, authentic, loving relationships. So that Satan doesn't get a foothold. Especially here in the church, in the body. Satan doesn't get a foothold and drive division in our church. Someone, I preached about this a lot. Someone asked me a few years ago, said, what's going on? I said, nothing. That's a good thing. Nothing's going on. But I'm always watching because I know our adversary, our adversary the devil, walks around as a roaring lion. And one of the things he tries to do is cause division. Division among believers. To drive wedges between us. That lead to anger and bitterness and hate and unforgiveness. Father, may that not take place. May your power continue to rest upon this body. May you continue to do wonderful things, mighty things. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.